Well, it just makes you want to have a potluck right here in the sanctuary and just keep talking and eat. But first, we need to do a little feeding on the Word of God. And so we are suspending our series that we've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke. And then we decided to do a series uh, on God's design for the family. And uh, some people, because I think uh, they had it wrong in the in the Calvary Review or whatever, thought that today was a day we were going to be addressing the wives. And so some of the, the wives saw that title, The Fire and Hammer of God. <laughs> And they were a little concerned. Now, it is true that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, but that's not what we're going to be talking about. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, something else from Jeremiah chapter 23. Dr. Jack, as we all know, uh, the founding pastor of Calvary Bible Church, which was first called Henry MacArthur Memorial Bible Church, uh, a big gulp there, uh, named in honor of his father, uh, who um, was also a preacher, uh, was started, as we just heard, uh, some 50 years ago, uh, and starting Glendale and then ended up getting here. Uh, later on in February of 1967, the name was changed to Calvary Bible Church, a name which fit nicely with the Voice of Calvary radio program, and uh, which is now in its 61st year, uh, airing on some 26 stations, uh, which is incredible. And I think it's important to ask why Dr. Jack and a group of believers wanted to start another church. And uh, uh, Pastor Jack Osterman, of course, told us why, because uh, churches they were involved with was starting to go liberal. It's not that there wasn't any uh, any other churches in the area. There was. It wasn't that there weren't any churches with good doctrinal statements. Uh, there was. It wasn't that there wasn't any churches that um, said they believed the Bible because there was. The problem is there was a need for a church that, in the words of Paul to Timothy, gave attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And that is what Dr. Jack wanted to see happen. That is what he knew was the key to every God-honoring church, and it is the only cure for sinners, and it is the only way believers can grow in their walks with the Lord in holiness, is to have a constant diet of the Word of God. You can look at the Voice of Calvary's website today, which I did, and I clipped the little purpose statement off of the Voice of Calvary website, which is the same purpose statement that this church was founded upon. Dr. Jack writes, quote, In these days when the integrity and authority of the Word of God is being questioned and denied, the Voice of Calvary affirms inerrancy and infallibility of the Word of God. The message of the voice of Calvary is bulwarked and built upon the solid rock of the impregnable word of God. With the Apostle Paul, we are set for our defense of the gospel. And this is why uh, this church was planted for that same reason. That is the mindset. And so for 16 years, uh, Pastor Jack MacArthur uh, served here faithfully, preaching the word. And then after that, uh, James uh, Kramus preached. And then after that, uh, Pastor Richard Lau. And, uh, and now it's me. 
And if you look in your bulletin, you will see the names of many other people uh, who were associate pastors and worked alongside, and many names do not appear there. Faithful saints who taught the word of God in Bible studies and Sunday school classes and uh, discipleship groups because they understood that the word of God must be central in the church because that is how God speaks to his church. And let us not be deluded into thinking that today the church is somehow in a much better condition than it was back then. We all know differently. The church is proceeding from bad to worse, at least the professing churches. Even most conservative churches today have failed to preach the gospel, have ceased preaching the gospel altogether. I recently heard of one evangelical pastor who informed his staff that no one up front in front of the congregation was ever to mention sin, judgment or repentance. I can hardly conceive of a more satanic comment than that. The church exists to warn sinners of impending judgment and to call them to repentance. To let them know that Jesus, the Lord of glory, died on the cross, took their sins upon himself, suffered their death in his place, was buried and rose again on the third day, conquering death, so that they, through faith in him, could receive the free gift of eternal life. And yet most churches don't want to preach that because it sounds kind of negative. It might offend people. It's not seeker sensitive. But in the words of Paul to the Corinthians, God has chosen the foolishness of the gospel to save those who believe. And in a world today, people think that preaching is foolishness, outdated, doesn't work anymore. God says it is his method. The scriptures must be completely preached, accurately preached and applied Sinners must be warned of the wrath of God to come and called to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints must continue to be reproved, rebuked, exhorted, admonished, encouraged by the word of God, or they will not grow. And that's just how it is. The reason for the miserable condition of churches in America today is preachers have abdicated their calling. They've prostituted their calling. And when the gospel isn't being preached, people don't get saved. When the gospel isn't being preached, they don't grow. And they become prey to every wind of doctrine. And it is the preacher's task to know what God says he must do and then to do what God says he must do. The preacher's job description isn't given to him by the congregation or congregational vote of the trustees or deacons or elders. It's given to him by God because this is his church. And God gets to tell his church what he wants done there. And what he wants done there is the word of God to be preached. The word of God to be lived out in holiness And face it, most people can't explain from the word of God what pastors are to be be and do. And yet the word of God is clear. There are three entire books directed to pastors to tell them what they are supposed to do. And if you read those books, you'll see a constant emphasis on the teaching and preaching of the word of God. 
And we must ever keep in mind that when the word of God isn't preached, we muzzle God. God wants to speak to his church and he speaks through his word. Remember, he is the one who purchased this body of believers with his own blood. And so he gets to decide how things are done. And so we need to let him speak and we let him speak by preaching his word. But when pastors quit listening to the great shepherd and instead turn to their own wicked hearts and to their congregations and to society and to polls and opinions and surveys and what makes people feel good. They muzzle God. They become like the shepherds and prophets and priests of Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah was a prophet who ministered between 627 and 580 B.C. He ministered during the reigns of Josiah, Jehoaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, kings of Judah. He was a contemporary of Zephaniah and Habakkuk and Daniel and Ezekiel. It was a time when Judah was on the downgrade. And they were getting ready to be taken captive to Babylon unless they would repent. And one of the key passages which summarizes their problem is Jeremiah seven twenty three and 24, where Jeremiah writes this. But this is what I commanded them, saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people and I will and you will walk in all the way which I commanded you that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. Jeremiah was sent by a loving God to pronounce judgment if they wouldn't repent. That is the loving thing to do. When somebody's in a building and the building is on fire, it's not the loving thing to do to say, oh, you'll be fine. You're not going to be fine. You're going to perish. And so Jeremiah preached hard against sin and they rejected him. And Jeremiah didn't do it because he was mad at the people. He loved them. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 9 verse 1, one of the several texts which help us understand Jeremiah's heart for the people. He said, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes fountains of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And of course we have the whole book of lamentations, which is in a lament because the people won't listen to God. And the root problem in Jeremiah's time is the root problem we're facing today. It was the same problem he had back then that led Israel to the place where they were before they were judged. And it is the same place the church is today because they have failed in the same exact area. And so turn to Jeremiah 23. And I just want to read some sections of this chapter and then we'll focus on one verse. But I want you to see if you can see the problem. Look at verse one of Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah writes, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended them. Behold, I'm about to tend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Look down at verse 13. 
Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. The committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. And they strengthen the hands of evildoers. So that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and their inhabitants like Gomorrah. Look at verse 21. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people. And they would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Look at verse 25. I have heard that the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name saying, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood? Even the prophets of the deception of their own heart who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal, the prophet Who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord. You see the problem there? The people who were in charge of preaching and teaching the word of God weren't preaching and teaching the word of God. Instead... Everybody was talking about their own personal word from the Lord. Oh, the Lord spoke to me. Oh, the Lord said to this to me. Oh, you know, I had a revelation from God, a vision from God, a dream from God. I sensed God. Of course, they were contradicting the word of God. They were perverting it. These things were just lies and deceptions and falsehoods spawned from their own wicked hearts. Look at verse 30. Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare the Lord declares. Behold, I'm against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people with the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. Well, everything they were doing was chaff. Not grain. And this is what we see happening in the church today. The exact same thing. People having words and visions and dreams and God told me this and God says this. And, you know, well, we've learned about this philosophy and we've 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 taken a survey and we've asked the children of Satan what they want and we're going to give it to them. What is that? This is God's church. It's Christ's church. And he wants to speak and he speaks through his word. And so God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23, 29, a verse I have long waited to preach on. And this just happens to be the perfect occasion. What God himself says is the solution to the problem. And he gives us the solution in a very interesting way. He does it by asking us two questions, which both have the same answer. And once we answer that, those two questions, it tells us about the fundamental truth, which is the solution to the problem. The problem Israel is facing, the problem we're facing today. And 
In consequence, it gives us a plan of attack of what to do after we answer those two questions, which lead us to the same fundamental truth. So God has just commented in the preceding verse that the methods and words and visions and dreams and lies of men are but straw as compared to the nutritious grain of the word. And then he asks you these two questions. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that shatters rock? And from verse 29, God wants us to answer these two questions. He wants you to answer these two questions in your mind so you will be reminded of what is true and so that you will remember what to do. And the first is this, is not God's word like a fire? What is fire? I did a little research on fire. I used to be a firefighter, but I did more research just to make sure I knew what it was. It's actually a chemical reaction. A chemical reaction, which we call burning, when there is enough fuel, oxygen, and enough heat present, a chemical reaction begins to start, and that chemical reaction we call burning or fire. And fire radically transforms something from one nature to another. It has the power to change things you start off with a big tall candle and you end up with a small puddle of wax with a little piece of burnt wick you start with a big pile of wood you set it on fire you end up with a very small pile of ashes you put a whole you know tank full of gas in your car and another and all year you keep you ever wonder where it goes it comes out your exhaust pipe in the form of carbon dioxide and water The fire in your engine transforms it into something different. And in the Bible, the word fire appears 550 times. Flames appear 371 times. Or actually, the word burn appears 371. The word flame 45 times. And the word scorch 22 times. And when you read, people cook with it. They heat with it. They, you know, offer sacrifices with it. Why? Because it takes something physical in form, transforms it into a gas, a smoke that ascends up into heaven. And in the Bible, fire is most often used in reference to judgment. Like when God in Genesis 19 rained down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Or in Leviticus chapter 10, when Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire to the Lord, God countered their strange fire with the holy fire of wrath and indignation, and he incinerated them. Jesus described his ministry in Luke 12:49 with words that we would do well to pay attention to today when he said this. I have come to cast fire upon the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. That is an interesting statement. Wait till we get to that verse. But what does this tell us about fire? It tells us one fundamental principle. Fire is powerful. Fire is powerful to change. Like James says, he says, see how great a forest fire is started by such a little flame. Little tiny flame can just ignite an entire forest on fire. So when God speaks, he asks you this question, is not my word like fire? And the answer we're supposed to immediately 
come up with is, of course it is. And then we're supposed to realize, well, since it's so powerful, what should we do? We should preach it and proclaim it and live it. And it applies to two different kinds of people, believers and unbelievers. First, the fire of God's word melts hard hearts. How many of you can look back and remember a time when your heart was as hard as steel? When you didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity. I mean, one of the most obnoxious things you can remember is trying to find a good radio station and and accidentally run across some preacher on there. The gall of that person to be screaming at you. And your idea of Christians is nothing more than a whole bunch of religious judgmental hypocrites who needed a crutch because they didn't have anything better to do on Sunday morning. But look at you now. What happened? What happened? I will tell you what happened. Your heart was melted by the fire of God. You put a cutting torch on a piece of half inch of plate steel. You know what happens at first? Nothing. Nothing. And you might be tempted to conclude the torch isn't working. I've held it here for three seconds. Nothing's working. You hold it there a little while longer. And pretty soon the metal starts to glow. And it gets brighter and oranger. And pretty soon the metal turns into something like the consistency of melted butter. And all of a sudden a hole blows through. What was once harder than granite is easily melted by the flame. And you know... When you start sharing the gospel with people, it may seem at first nothing's happening. It's not working. I tried it once. They didn't repent. Keep the flame there. Whatever you do, don't move it. Charles Spurgeon addressing our very text said, quote, you put your finger in the fire and you will know that it burns. You lay your hand upon a red heart bar, iron bar and you will not need anybody to tell you that there is fire there. So even if you are an unconverted man, and if you have as yet no knowledge of the power of the gospel of God, yet if you come in contact with it, it will warrant that you will know it. Very likely you will show that you know it by getting very angry and growing very indignant. Men do not like being singed and scorched by the gospel. When a fellow has a... Burnt his hand. He does not feel pleased with the hot iron. And the gospel often operates upon men most beneficially when it excites their wrath. I have not much hope for the sinner who keeps on hearing the truth and saying, yes, I like that kind of preaching. I quite enjoy our minister's sermons. I have a great deal more hope for a man when he says, I will never hear that fellow again. I cannot bear to listen to him. And he goes out in a rage. He will come back before long. The hook is in his jaw. He is feeling the sharpness of it. And he will not be able to get away from it. Men cannot go to sleep when their fingers are on fire. Neither can they when the gospel is sounding aloud in their ears. End quote. What is the cure 
for sinners. Our whole society is filled with sinners. This whole room is filled with sinners. But what is their hope? The gospel, the word of God. What is the hope for somebody who wants to grow in holiness and righteousness? The God, God's word and only God's word. The preaching of God's word is the one and only thing that has the power to save sinners. And Paul makes this clear in Romans 1 16. He says, for I am not ashamed for the God of the gospel, for it is the, and he puts a little definite article, the power of God, which means the only power of God for all who believe. He's speaking to the Corinthians in first Corinthians 1 18. He affirms this again. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The only power of God. He goes on to say in verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. You can't get people to know God through worldly wisdom. Oh, you need to ask Jesus in your heart. Oh, you need to come forward. Oh, you need to raise your hand. That's not the gospel. Those are gimmicks invented by men. So pastors can boast about how many people came forward. The gospel is Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again, suffered in your place, and that you need to repent of your sins and believe in him, trusting in him, following him as your savior. That is the gospel. The world does not need entertained. It does not get saved by pop psychology does not need coddled in their sin. They need the fire of God's word applied to their life. And their hearts melted by it. And the application for you is clear. Preach the word. Get out the flame. Find somebody you know whose heart is as hard as steel and thrust in the flaming sword and leave it there until it melts. Never forget the word of God alone has the power to save sinners and only that. Secondly, God's word cleanses and sanctifies those who are believers. I would just couldn't imagine. Uh, we saw all those pictures last night. If you went to the banquet last night, I know not everybody could, but uh, we went to the banquet last night and they had these pictures of people that, you know, I, I would look at there and I'd, I'd see this young person there and I'd think their face is familiar. And I think that's old senior citizen so-and-so. And, you know, you look at some of these people, you look at your own life and you remember a time in your life when you were enslaved to alcohol or enslaved to drugs or eating or immorality or lying or swearing or anger or lack of self-control or a combination of a million other sins. And many of those sins you've been totally set free from, they aren't even an issue in your life before. Where did they go? You call out for them, but they cannot be found. What happened? The treasury of scripture knowledge comments, quote, as fire penetrates, enlivens, illuminates, purifies, consumes or transforms every substance into its own nature. So the sacred word applied by the spirit of God penetrates the conscience 
quickens and illuminates the mind, softens and melts the hearts, purifies the affections, consumes the dross of sin, transforms the believer's soul into its own holy nature, end quote. That is what happened to them. The word purifies us. Do you want to grow in holiness? Do you want to be conformed in the image of Christ? Do you want to be a better husband and a better wife and a better father and a better worker and a better friend? Then leap into the flame. Throw yourself into the furnace of God's word and let it work on you. Be constantly nourished up on the words of the faith and sound doctrine. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is what will change you. That is what, in the words of Paul to Timothy, will equip you for every good work. When God asks you, is not my word like a fire? He wants you to answer yes. And then he wants you to live like it. And that means make sure you get out the fire. For those who you you love who are perishing and make sure you jump into the fire yourself every day. Second question God asks. Is not God's word like a hammer that shatters rock? And you may not understand the complexities of the fire tetrahedron. But everybody knows what a hammer is, a heavy metal head on a stick. You know, some heavy metal thing with a handle on it. And you use it to drive stakes and nails and staples and pound and form metal and to break and crush rock. And I love hammers. I I started thinking about, you know, I've got quite a few hammers at my house. I've got two framing hammers. I've got a finish hammer. I've got a drill hammer. I've got a brick hammer, a ball peen hammer, a brass dead blow hammer, and a very large sledgehammer. And I use them. And if you come to my house, you can use them too. (laughs) And they all work off the same principle. You grab the hammer and you swing towards whatever you want to see changed. And it does its work. It does its work. God asks you here, is not my word like a hammer which shatters rock? Now, I want you to know, if I want to break rock, I don't use one of my little hammers. I get out my big one. And the whole point here is God's word is like a big rock crushing hammer in its effect. And the same truth communicated by the metaphor of fire is the same truth communicated by the metaphor of the hammer. Hammers that shatter rock are powerful like the word of God. And we apply them in two different areas, just like we talked before the fire. The hammer of God breaks hard, unrepentance hearts, hearts. What can we ever do to deal with all the false teachers in the world? All the dead congregations and the formal religion buildings filled with professing dead people who call themselves Christians, who don't know the Lord, who are blinded by their sin, who are held captive by false doctrine. What is the hope of these people? And, you know, you can think, well, maybe we ought to, you know, get an advertising campaign. Maybe we ought to, you know, know, try some media. Maybe try some, you know, drama. You know, maybe get them sucked in somehow. Listen, you need to do something with power. 
get out the hammer. Spurgeon said, quote, I think that it does not require any great education to learn how to use a hammer. I do not know. Maybe it does. But it seems that to use a hammer aright, one has nothing to do but to strike with it. A stone breaker, for instance, gets a good strong hammer and a heap of stones to strike at, and he has to but hit them as hard as he can and to keep on hitting until they are broken. Brethren, when you preach, take the gospel hammer and strike as hard as ever you can with it. Oh, but I must try to improve the look of my hammer. It must have a mahogany handle. Never mind about the mahogany handle. You use your hammer for striking. For hammers are not for ornament. They are meant to be used for real hard work. And when you come to use the gospel as it ought to be used, the result is wonderful. It is a rock-breaking thing. And I know you all have relatives and you all have friends and you all have co-workers that you would love to see come to know the Lord. But it amazes me how quickly we forsake the hammer of God for the marshmallow of our own liking. We attack people with a feather duster. And there is that person in your life that you want to see saved. And I ask you this. Have you struck them with the gospel hammer yet? And you may be out there thinking, well, you know, I, I kind of did a little bit, uh, you know, but it didn't seem to be working. So now I'm trying to find a softer approach. No. The only thing that works is the gospel hammer. The only thing that works. What doesn't work is hinting about your church activities and your prayer groups and Bible studies. What doesn't work is talking about going to church and doing good deeds. What doesn't work is thinking they're going to be saved by listening to you banter about your association to the church. That does not save them. They need the hammer and you need to wield it. There is only one way a person can be saved, and that's to hear the gospel. So you strike them between the eyes with the sledgehammer of the gospel. I'm not saying be mean. You can do it very gently, but I'm telling you, it's going to hit them hard. When you tell somebody, hi, yes, you're going to hell unless you repent. Have you ever noticed in the world how you can say anything you want? You can talk about drinking, fornication, adultery, Buddhism, Islam. You can talk about any sort of totem poles and witchcraft, anything that people accept that fine. If you say, the Bible says, they hate you for it. Why? Because it hammers them. It's proof that God's word is a hammer beyond what the scriptures clearly teach. And so if you're talking with somebody, don't despair. Don't stop wielding the hammer. A while back, I had to break up this concrete slab in my backyard. And so I get out my sledgehammer. I go out there and I lift that big beast up and bring it down with all my might on the slab. And you know what happens? Nothing. So I go, oh, it didn't shatter into a whole bunch of little pieces. I'm leaving. It's not working. No, as a matter of fact, I hit it over and over and over again and nothing seemed to be happening because there's just a few little surface blemishes on there. And I begin to wonder, you know, I wonder if this is going to work. You know, I, I've hit this thing a lot of times and I'm getting tired and my back's sore. You know, I'm longing for my office job. 
Then all of a sudden, one particular blow caused a crack to form. And so, man, that excited me. So I hit it again and again, and pretty soon another crack and another crack and a chunk fell off. And pretty soon it was all broken up. I put on the wheelbarrow and hauled it away. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think only those last few blows shattered the slab into pieces? No, of course not. Each blow contributed. And that is how it is with the word of God. You may strike and strike until your back is sore. And your arms are tired, but never think the hammer of God's word is not working because it is deep down within that person's heart. It's causing these small little fractures and small little fissures and all that concrete, which is increasing casing their heart is slowly being weakened until finally at last it crumbles and the gospel gets through and they repent and are saved. Secondly, God's word also hammers away at our sins and and lies that encompass our lives and it hammers them into pieces. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, you come to church sometimes and I mean, it doesn't happen to me very often anymore, but because I preach, but it hammers to me, it happens to me during the week. Uh, you know, you come to church and you think to yourself, you know, all oh, the church is going to be fun. We're going to sing some songs, see some friends, you know, leave. Oh, hap, hap, happy day. <laughs> and then, you know, afterwards, after I get through preaching, a lot of you are walking out, you know, with your heads down and you know, your ears laid back. You're heading for the door. Man, I am such a sinner. I am so convicted. Does he always have to do that? <laughs> yes. I do. I do. Now you have to get it for an hour. I have to get it all week. The hammer of God's word, it pounds on your heart. It breaks up those stony lies. It, it crushes these concrete deceptions. It takes all those petrified sins in your life and breaks them loose so that the Holy Spirit can sweep them away. And I can't count the number of times. I'm sure you've experienced this yourself in reading your Bible. Hey, you're just reading a passage and you're just so, yeah, just it's like, oh, praise God. This is so good. And all of a sudden you come to a verse that just pounds you. You just realize, I am so bad. I am so, I am such a sinner. And you're so convicted because you realize, ow, ow, ow. And then you keep going back and you keep getting pounded. Why? Because you need it. Because you need it. You want those sins out of there and it hurts. People of Calvary Bible Church, what you need to remember, never forget, is God's word is a hammer. A big one. Don't think your words and your wisdom and the wisdom of men can ever replace the power of God's word. Government can't do it. Psychology can't do it. Medications can't do it. There's only one thing that saves and sanctifies sinners. And that's the word of God. And if you won't hear it through Jeremiah, then hear it through the apostle Paul when he speaks to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5 when he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Picture in your mind some big, massive fortification. You know, like the kind they had in the ancient Near East, like Nineveh, 100 foot high walls, you know, big stones of 20, 30, 40 tons apiece, making these big giant walls. How could you ever break through that? 
You need something powerful, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And he explains what those fortresses are. He says, for we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. You know how to deal with all worldly philosophies and lies and deceptions that incarcerate people and lead them to hell. You get out the hammer and you shatter them with the truth of God's word. And if you won't hear it from Jeremiah and you won't hear it from Paul, then hear it from the author of Hebrews. If Paul didn't write it, but the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. It is piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. And it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I'm telling you, you preach and speak and live the word and it will enter into people's hearts. And it does surgery on them while they stand without anesthetic. And they get mad. And sometimes they reject you and sometimes they call you names. But do you love them? Then give them the word. Give them the hammer. Calvary Bible Church has survived for 15 years and has not fallen into liberalism. It has not gone the way of most churches that have been around that long. Why? Because Dr. Jack and every other pastor and all the leaders from that time all preached and taught the word of God. And it's imperative that you never forget this. Because someday I'm not going to be here. And whoever else gets up here, it's your responsibility as a congregation. It's the elders responsibility to insist that the word of God in its entirety be preached because God needs to speak to his church. Warren Wearsby correctly observes, no wonder false teachers are so popular. Sinful human hearts do not want to be burned or broken by the fire and hammer of the word of God. It prefers chaff, even though chaff Gives no nourishment. You can make people happy. I mean, I want you to know, I could make you feel good every Sunday. But I could not make God feel good if I did that. Spurgeon again warns, and we'll close with this. If any of you are in the habit of hearing sermons, which are very fine, very eloquent, very logical, very proper... Yet if they never strike you as a hammer strikes the rock, if they never aim at breaking your hearts, do not waste any more Sundays in hearing them, for they are not God's word. This word is a hammering word. And if the preacher's message does not smite you, if it does not ultimately break you in pieces, it is because it is not the word of God to which you have been listening This is the test which God himself gives here to distinguish the true from the false. Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and a hammer that breaketh a rock in pieces. And so how do you answer Calvary Bible Church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jeremiah. We thank you directly because we know that you inspired him. We thank you for the men who have come before and preached your word. And Father, again, not just the pastors, 
Father, just all the faithful people, all those moms and Sunday school teachers and faithful women and faithful men in Bible studies and discipleship relationships who constantly went to your word, who let it strike their own hearts, let it strike the hearts of others. Father, the world just cannot stomach the preaching of your word, but yet you have chosen to use the foolishness of the gospel preached to save those who believe. And you have chosen to use your old, archaic, ancient text to turn us more into the likeness of Jesus. And Father, that's what we all want to be. We all want to be like Jesus. We all want to grow in holiness and knowledge and truth and love. And we know that it comes through the word. Those precious and magnificent promises that you have granted us to equip us for everything we need in this life. Father, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you, who's never repented of their sins, may they do that this morning. May they give their life to Jesus. May they receive his death and his life applied to them the free gift of eternal life through faith. They might walk in holiness and you might change them through the fire and hammer of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.